Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I am thrilled that you found me. And more importantly, I am thrilled that you found Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we will unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one of moldable clay for the potter to transform. I hope that you will consider joining me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And friends, periodically, we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. Once again, that's pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Well, today we're going to continue on with our study of abiding obedience. So welcome back. It is our final day looking into obedience God's way. And yesterday we learned that God says obedience is far better than sacrifices. And recall we said a sacrifice was a ritual transaction between man and God that physically demonstrated a relationship between them. But the caveat to sacrifices is a person's heart. If we're truly repentant and offer God an attitude of love and obedience, He will hear us. The old sacrificial system no longer applies to us. We're under the new way. Jesus was and is the ultimate sacrifice. Furthermore, we learn that Jesus' mission on earth was about doing the Father's perfect will. And Jesus offered his body on the cross, becoming that perfect ultimate sacrifice for all of mankind. And this was acceptable to God. Jesus' sacrifice instituted the new system for mankind, out with the old and ushering in with the new. And Jesus is permanent, the only high priest from the tribe of Judah. He ministers in heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of God. He was the one perfect sacrifice, as we said, whose blood atoned for all sin, past, present, and future. His sacrifice encourages mankind to go boldly with confident expectation before the throne of God. But we must not fail to remember God gave us the combination to life. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he had told the prophet Jeremiah to tell the people to eat their own offerings and sacrifices. He didn't want them. Instead, here is what he wanted obedience. He said, obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Only do as I say and all will be well. This brings us to the disciples picking wheat on the Sabbath to eat because they were hungry. The Pharisees saw this and protested. They said, your disciples shouldn't be doing that. So, as usual, the Pharisees were in judgment. It's against the law to work by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees had established 39 categories of actions forbidden on the Sabbath based upon their interpretations of God's law and on Jewish customs. Harvesting was one of those forbidden actions. By picking wheat and rubbing it in their hands, the disciples technically were harvesting it. Recall we said the disciples were hungry, though. 
They were not picking grain to harvest for profit. You see, they were not working on the Sabbath. But as you and I know, perception often trumps reality. The stubborn religious elitists didn't want to see beyond their own reality into the truth of their law's technicalities. And isn't that what we see today? They had no room for compassion, and they were determined to accuse Jesus of wrongdoing. So Jesus answers their accusation in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, where he says, But you would not have condemned those who aren't guilty if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. Jesus repeated to the Pharisees what the Jewish people had heard time and again throughout history. Our heart attitude toward God comes first. Only then can we properly obey and observe religious regulations and rituals. Jesus came to save the sick, not the healthy people. This was another misunderstanding where the Pharisees were grossly malnourished spiritually and negligent of Jesus' true ministry upon earth. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus tells the people again to go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. For I have come to call sinners, not to those who think they're already good enough. So what is mercy? Well, the biblical definition of mercy is the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes a need on the part of the person who receives it. So mercy is the act of God. Usually following mercy, we find God's grace. Grace describes God's attitude towards the lawbreaker and the rebel. In between mercy and grace houses peace, and peace is the resulting experience in the heart of man. Mercy is God's attitude toward those who are in distress. The only time this order is different is when it pertains to salvation. Here, grace must go before mercy because only the forgiven may be blessed. And all the way down to the title for this podcast, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins, we see grace as if those who are acting so flagrantly or obvious as if it were so will listen to the scripture instead of letting it speak in vain. And will act so that the Holy Spirit may have his way within. God will give even a greater grace, namely all that follows from humbleness and from turning away from the world. In other words, don't just read the scriptures for face value. One must mine each verse carefully, unearthing its hidden and true meaning. Then God will give us even more grace, which translates into a heart of peace. And one of my mentors put grace this way. Grace's true purpose is to change the inner desire of a man to willing holiness prompted by spirit-enabled gratitude. The other day, we learned that much of Mark's content came from the disciple Peter. In Mark chapter 12, verse 33, he quotes the two greatest commandments and then adds that obeying these two great commands was more important than offering all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices that were required by the law. 
What I'm saying is that Mark understood and therefore grasped the intent of God's law as it is so often stressed in the Old Testament. He understood that true obedience comes from the heart. All Old Testament commands lead a person to Jesus. Now, he would need to place his faith in the person of Jesus. The book of Exodus makes it clear what shall happen to the person who is not on God's team, death. Exodus chapter 22 verse 18 says, A sorceress must not be allowed to live. This seems that God's law is being unusually cruel and harsh, but under Old Testament law, sorcery was punishable by death because it was a crime against God. To invoke evil powers violated the first commandment to not worship any other God. Sorcery was rebellion against God and his authority in essence. It was teaming up with Satan and not God. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 6 also provides another stern message through Moses. Here we learn, if any among the people are unfaithful by consulting and following mediums or psychics, I will turn against them and cut them off from the community, along with all those who commit prostitution by worshiping Moloch. It's human nature to be interested in what the future holds. And we often look to others for guidance, but God warned about looking to the occult for advice. Mediums and psychics were both outlawed because God was not the source of their information. We know at best occult practitioners are fakes and frauds whose predictions cannot be trusted. At worst, they're in contact with evil spirits and are thus extremely dangerous. We don't need to look to the occult for information about the future. God has given us the Bible so that we may obtain all the information we need and we can trust all of the Bible's teachings. Moses also warns of idolatry. He tells the people to suppose that some worthless rabble among you have led their fellow citizens astray by encouraging them to worship foreign gods. You might be asking what is worthless rabble? It simply meant disorderly crowd. If it could be proven true, the town was to be attacked and destroyed. All the people and all the livestock were to be killed. Again, on the surface, God's word appears harsh and cruel. However, keep in mind, these were critics that complete, or excuse me, cities that completely rejected God. And these cities needed to be destroyed so that other nations would not be compromised. But Israel was not to act upon rumors. The threat needed to be verified. It was good that this system of checks and balances was in place. Israel falsely accused three tribes of falling away from their faith. Many lives were saved with God's verification process. And today this still applies. We may hear rumors of friends falling away or congregations that have fallen away or sadly even ministers who have fallen away from the faith. We must always verify the facts and not fan the flame of suspicion by spreading gossip about the situation. This prevents harm. And there are times that God wants us to step up for him and confront or rebuke a false teaching, a wayward friend, or even 
discipline a child, but first we must get the facts straight. The Israelites were instructed not to keep any plunder from the cities they destroyed. They were not to profit off the backs of ungodly people. Then God would go on and offer a promise to the people that he would be merciful toward them if they obeyed and kept all of the commands. God called his people to holy living. He would address what the pagan nations were doing. He spelled out their detestable customs, including child sacrifices. He forbade the Israelites to have anything to do with child sacrifices or occult practices. Israel's own neighboring nation sacrificed their children to the god Moloch. Other neighboring religions used supernatural means, such as contacting the spirit world to foretell the future and gain guidance. Because of these wicked practices, God would drive out the pagan nations. Two Israelites were to The Israelites were to replace their evil practices with the worship of the one true God. The Israelites came by their curiosity of the Canaanites honorably, but Satan is behind all occult practices, and this is why God forbade it. When we have a desire to control and know the future, oftentimes Satan will attempt to lure us in with horoscopes, palm reading, fortune telling, witchcraft, and bizarre cults. But make no mistake about it, Satan is no less dangerous now than he was in Moses' time. He is lethal, God's number one enemy, and ours too. In the Bible, God tells us about events to come. We have all that we need for our futures. The information coming out of the enemy camp is often distorted or completely false. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us to guide, direct, and reveal the things of God to us. Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 3 says, Ask me and I will tell you some remarkable secrets about what is going to happen here. We are assured when we need answers, all we need to do is ask. God is ready to answer our prayers. Of course, God could take care of our needs without us even asking, but when we ask, we acknowledge that He alone is our one and true God. We are not able to accomplish in our own strength what He alone can do. And there are some guidelines to asking so we don't do it amiss. First, we must humble ourselves. We must lay aside any willfulness inside of us. Also, worry needs to be put off. Finally, we must be in agreement to obey him. A similar theme reoccurs in the book of Micah. Micah was a contemporary to the prophet Isaiah and Hosea. Micah would emphasize both justice and peace to the Israelites living in Judah. He would make it clear that God hates unkindness, idolatry, injustice, and empty rituals from his people. This still holds true today. However, God is more than willing to offer us a pardon for our sins when we opt to repent with a truly contrite heart. Micah preached that God's greatest desire was not the offering of sacrifices at the temple. No, instead, God takes great delight in faith that produces justice and love for others and fully devoted obedience to Him. 
God said he would leave a remnant, but it would be purified. This remnant of Israel will go out among the nations and be as strong as a lion. And the other nations will be as helpless as sheep with no one to rescue them. The Lord vowed he would destroy all of their weapons, their horses and chariots. He would tear down their walls and demolish the defenses of the city. He would put an end to all witchcraft. He would rid the city of all fortune tellers. He also promised to rid the city of all idols and sacred pillars. Furthermore, all pagan shrines with their Asherah poles and idol temple stands would all be destroyed. When God comes to rule the world the second time, we only need to place our faith and trust in him, not on military might, Armed forces won't be needed because God will rule in the hearts of his people. We should not and need not fear the future. The possibility of nuclear attacks or invasions, our confidence rests squarely on the shoulders of our almighty God. At the end of the day, we all want to be cast with the right light. Our desire when we worship must be focused on God and not on ourselves. I've said it over and over within this series, but it bears repeating. God wants our hearts. God hates when believers worship only for show. We're not to use religious rituals and traditions for our personal gain. Recall on yesterday's podcast, we discussed the ritual of the Lord's Supper. There are requirements or ground rules to be aware of prior to partaking of it. Remember, we said that we must examine ourselves for any unconfessed sin or resentful attitudes towards others. This ensures us that we're not eating or drinking God's judgment upon ourselves. That's critical, friends. And why do we take the Lord's Supper? Together, we're proclaiming and acknowledging that Jesus died for our sins. And then Jesus tells us to do this in remembrance of Him. And this is asking us to think about what He did and more importantly, why He did it. This renews our commitment to serve Him and strengthens us spiritually. When we can't only go through the motions, If we have sin in our lives, we must confess it and repent to God. The people of Amos' day were called for the day of the Lord, yet they didn't know what they were asking for. They thought that by calling for the day of the Lord that their troubles would disappear rather than having judgment through justice come upon them. But if justice came upon the people, this would have brought punishment to the people and No one wanted that. So my prayer for everyone listening to this podcast today is that you don't think you're already good enough because this is going to allow Jesus to work within your life and it allows Jesus to work within my life. There's always room for improvement. And this is an admission that we may not have all the answers, but we know the one who does, and that is Jesus. So as we end today, take time and reflect within your heart to see where you stand and also remember that he, the one who sees you, sees your true and obedient heart. And you know, friends, as I, the more podcasts that we do together, I find that more and more people don't have that personal relationship with Jesus. But if you want a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, 
and you want to become a child of God, you want to spend heaven with him for all of eternity. And that's a mighty long time. I'd invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to Jesus. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sin of humanity, past, present, and future at the cross of Calvary. Amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is is to read God's word daily so he can guide and he can direct and reveal himself to you through the power of his Holy Spirit. And then consider getting into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other like-minded believers who will edify and help grow your faith. And let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision you've ever made. Congratulations and God bless you. And you know, Moses had a brother who was the first priest, Aaron. And one of priest Aaron's contributions he left for us is this benediction. As you go out into the world, allow me to pray this blessing over you from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And this prayer alone encompasses six blessings over your life. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk podcast airs on Wednesdays if we're not in the middle of a series. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, how to be joyful, and what love in action looks like, and many more. And I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on a podcast of adventure and exploration of life together. So please consider joining me. And if you like this podcast, make sure and like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. And you know, much of today's podcast was referenced straight out of my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or interesting, you might consider picking up a copy of the book from my website, pampastorcopywriting.com or Amazon, Barnes and Noble or Dorrance.com. And if you're unable to afford a copy, certainly write to me and I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. And friends, if you want to be a blessing to somebody else, share this material with them. And until next time, be blessed. And remember that the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen.